back to another episode of the Chatham-Kent Public Libraries. This is a library podcast. Um, it's a podcast project with the Chatham-Kent Public Library that engages uh, feedback gleaned from the community as the foundation for curiosities about where libraries have come from, where they are now, and where they can go in the future. Today's topic that we're going to be um, having some conversation about is the library um, as a space that gives a sense of place. So today here to talk with us about that, we have Stephanie, Andrea, and Megan, who all work at the Chatham-Kent Public Library, and um, we'll have them introduce themselves to you. Steph, go ahead. I'm Stephanie Yeoman. I'm the Children's Services Librarian, and I've been with CKPL for seven years. And as a children's services librarian, what um, what types of things do you get up to? That's a great question, Mark. <laughs> I do programs and outreach. I oversee a lot of um, programming for the entire system. You, you champion? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> you put me on the spot. That was I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I really enjoy doing outreach and going to the classrooms. And actually last year we were all virtual. So it gave me a chance to rethink the way that I did outreach and connect with students in a new way. Can I jump in and, and talk about you, Steph? <laughs> you yeah, can. sorry. So you also champion so many things here. You were the one that got book bash at CKPL, something that is only awarded to another library system across Canada once every other year. You champion different collections perspectives, making sure that services are equitable for all of our patrons. No fines. You, Yes, no. you are a driving force behind um, when we trialed um, Fines Free Summer for yeah. summer reading for kids, which has now become a permanent full-time initiative. No fines on children's materials. Thanks, buddy. But yeah, I think you, <laughs> a good description of you is you champion what we do. I like that. Well, there you it's go. much better to have someone else describe you than for you to describe yourself and what you do. <laughs> So then we'll go to Andrea, who can talk about herself. <laughs> Andrea, give us a little bit of context about yourself. Okay, so I'm Andrea Johnson. I'm the collection development librarian here at CKPL. I've been in this role for about three years, but I started the library about eight years ago. I started off as a digitization technician. And then after that, I was a library assistant too in Tilbury and Wheatley. Then I came to Chatham and I was a library technician here. Now I got my current position. I do a lot of different things with the collection. So I oversee all of our large print buying. I do a lot of the bestseller fiction ordering as well. And then I handle our online resources. So I purchase all the eBooks and audiobooks for adults. Um, I oversee which databases we have. And then I get to do programs as well. So the big ones on the go right now are How To, which is for Ontario Public Library Week. I do the off-the-shelf newsletter that we have available in print and digital. And then I do some website work as well. So many different things to keep it exciting. I was going to say just a few things, right? Yeah, you know. <laughs> Can I jump in on Andrea too? Megan, yes, go for it. Throw on some serious kudos today. Andrea is a library machine. She talked about one program that she does, but she also does a lot of our big programs. Um, all these huge programs that bring in hundreds of people. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I have personally you do that. participated in the, in the Cat Cafe in particular. Mm -hmm. And for listeners who have not, it is wonderful. It's a, you get to sit into a, in a room, pet cats, and perhaps read a book. It's the best. It, and it's, that's another, frankly, wild program. We see 200 people in... He's like two and a half it's hours. It's packed. Yeah. It's we Andrew and I essentially are cat bouncers, mm -hmm. where we <laughs> control access to the cats to make sure they don't get overwhelmed, um, so that the our lovely partners at Pet and Wildlife Rescue don't have to do all the work that they can just kind of be there to answer questions mm -hmm. and things like that. Sometimes, literally, when you open the door to go in, it's like literally herding cats. Mm -hmm. Like the oh, cats yes. will come mm -hmm. out into we, the library. It's, we've had to chase them down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's fun though. Uh, so not only do that, but Again, another champion for the library for our collections, um, making sure they're diverse and that they're, um, we refresh our collections is very important to you. And you can see that in your day-to-day -day work, I think. Andrea. I'm <laughs> talking about myself and hearing about myself. 
That's so sweet. Well, yeah. then last and certainly not least, Megan, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then maybe these two can yeah. chime in. <laughs> Was that my plan all along? <laughs> I'm Megan Cowan. I'm the Circulation Services Librarian for CKPL. Uh, I've been with the library for about six and a half years. Normally, when I'm asked what I do, I say, what don't I do? <laughs> um, so kind of a mix of what Stephanie and Andrea have already talked about. Um, some collections work. So I oversee the adult DVD collection, which is a massive, very popular collection, which keeps me very busy. I oversee our uh, CERC staff on the day-to-day basis here in Chatham, and then I support staff system-wide at all 11 locations. So I'm often doing a lot of training, a lot of troubleshooting. I'm also the local history librarian, so I do a lot of research uh, for people, which is both fun and can be frustrating when it's hard to find the information they're looking for because that's sure. ultimately what we want is to deliver to the people that are looking for something. And then, yes, programming is a big, as I mentioned with Andrea's section, a big part of what I do and a very enjoyable part of what I, of what I do. Amazing. No pressure, you two. No. <laughs> um, I was going to say how well you manage your staff and like people come to you and you you have a large staff and you have to deal with circulation for all of the branches and that's a huge task thank you <laughs> that's i take that as a big compliment because that is a very important part of what i do yes. is helping our staff here i was gonna say even though megan is younger than me she started <laughs> off as a librarian before i did and i think she really was a good role model and someone i kind of looked to to understand like what the job can entail and what you can accomplish if you take a leadership position in your role. So I think before Megan started here, we weren't doing those big system-wide programs. And then after she started, we had so many of those programs. So we were offering them throughout the year and that was a big change. And it was definitely something that I wanted to be involved with. And I think she kind of always does push me to try harder because I kind of want to match where she's at and I want to be a good teammate to her. I think the three of us push each other and make each other better. That's why we're a good team. library I think in the community in communities in general is often a humble place that is consistent and always exists delivers innovative programs super supportive to the community but it's just kind of always there as a bit of a hum and so it's it's nice when that hum turns into a bit of a song so to speak where people are, are singing it with a little bit more volume sometimes during COVID post-COVID time the idea of whether it's singing or roaring or standing up for kind of what the library is, is very important. Like it's, it's been the feedback that we've been getting um, from these community surveys, which are the foundation of this, of the podcast is the feedback from people is um, consistently hearing um, quotes from folks who are saying like the library helped me through the pandemic, like a straight up quote from somebody saying that, or when I found my, my family fell in hard times, the library was there. So to that point, I'm just going to offer um, folks who are listening um, and the three of you in the room um, just some quotes that are kind of specific to help us ground this conversation or this curiosity around the library as a um, as a place. So these are straight up from the community. I think the pandemic really showed how important libraries are to our communities. I need a community library where I live. It's like water to me, which is one of my personal favorites. Um, a library is a space to learn and hang out with no pressure. COVID has simply reinforced my belief that the library is the heart of the community. Libraries have always been a place for everyone. The library is a quiet place where a person can go and sit. The library has become a lifeline for us during the pandemic. A library is an important part of the community, even if it is just a place to sit and read the newspaper. And then the last one is, it's, a, it's like a second home. I love the library. So maybe as a, a bit of a takeoff point for some chatter, any, any quotes or any of those thoughts kind of stand out to any, any of the three of you in particular? 
It's nice to hear some of our values and what we want to do and be for the community reflected back to us. Which Not, what are what are some of those? Um, the ones where it's a second home. Um, though it, it, we don't ever want someone to be in this position where they need a lifeline. So sometimes it, it does happen right, right. that we have been that place for them, um, where they don't when they don't know where to go, then they know they can come here. Yeah. And I think we've anecdotally we've heard those stories before, but it's. I feel like that's our message getting out there when um, people can reflect that back to you, that we know that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're all here really is to serve our community. So, but yes, the heart of the, the community that they need it, that it's, that they want us to be here is kind of reaffirming during a very hard time for libraries mm -hmm. for all of us, but libraries are hit pretty hard, <laughs> especially in CK during the pandemic. So that our community wants us to stay here for them is nice to hear. How, how during the pandemic was that, how were libraries hit? Like what was, what was like regularly, regularly scheduled programming? How was that kind of affected by the pandemic? One day we had programs and the next day we didn't. Uh, so like March break was coming up. We had all our March break activities planned for kids that all got canceled. Um, I think we were just kind of left in a just this ambiguous place of not knowing what was going to happen. Right. So everything got shut down. And I think then libraries, all library staff got laid off and our doors were shut. And I think for me, that was like a really hard, you lose your identity almost. And it did feel like then the library didn't matter because they could just take it away so quickly. And that was hard. That was a hard day. Um, and we had, um, Tanya called a meeting with all of us as much as we could as many people as we could get or on Skype, socially distanced, of course. And then our GM, April, came and with a lot, I feel like with a lot of empathy mm -hmm. for what she had to do, told us what was going to happen. And I remember people crying. That's how, that's how much the staff want to be here. Mm -hmm. Just, I remember one of someone on my team in particular, just breaking down. Uh, well, it's a sense of place for the community, but it's a, it's a sense of place for the staff as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's a place where staff and the community intersect and communicate with each other, right? So of course there would be, of course it would be hard. I right? feel like our staff, we would just be a, largely a building without the staff that we have here. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just similar with a lot of libraries. They care about their patrons. They make this place, this building feel like a second home, like a place where people can come. How do the they staff, help. how do the staff do that? What are some ways that either you, you all try to model or that you've seen your peers model. I know Megan, like you chatted about that with Andrea and Steph in those beautiful introductions, but what are some practices that you find are effective at the library? I think staff knowing the patrons and you can genuinely see their happiness and joy when people come in and having those conversations with mm -hmm. them. Um, I see it you hear it all the time with like the circulation staff or the children's staff or the reference staff, those interactions are bringing as much joy to the staff as they do to the patrons. Mm -hmm. They can come in, they see people every day, some people. Mm -hmm. And it's sometimes where, you know, just a friendly smile or someone's excited to see them. Our staff have known patrons for years and they know their history. They, they cry when, you know, they're, their partner dies or something happens to them, somebody gets sick in their family, they celebrate with them when they've had a new grandchild or they're going to move to a, a great new place, something like that. They're, they have these really strong relationships with, with our patrons, and that is a big part of what makes this place an important second place. And that's, that's a lot of library literature where we're trying to establish libraries as that, I think it's the third space, like the the third neutral space. I think you were doing some reading, some background reading stuff, so you probably know better. Yeah. But home, work, or school, yeah. and then this third space, and libraries trying to, to be that space. Yeah. And I think that's what's at the heart of it is that connection with you know what we do for them, but a largely our connection with the staff. Mm -hmm. Staff are, can make or break a library, I think. Libraries oftentimes are so ingrained in the community that people, and maybe this is part, in part what COVID helped kind of reveal is that. Um, the library services and the library spaces are such a part of people's routines that they didn't perhaps really realize how much until it was taken away. And I'm sure there's other services or things in, in that folks have had taken away from them too during COVID. It's been a pretty revealing time, but 
I know when Steph and I actually went to library school together. And when we were at school, um, I remember that being a big topic yes. of discussion yeah. in some of our courses, probably when you went a few years after us, Andrea. Um, I know it's a big thing in, in literature, particularly public libraries, I think. Um, academic and special libraries are a whole different thing. Right. But that idea that we're a neutral space where everyone is welcome mm -hmm. and we don't require anything from you. Yeah, no expectations. To, yes, there's no expectations from you to participate, be a part of your community, connect with other people in your community so you can meet all sorts of different people. Mm -hmm. um, you don't have to have a particular skill or look a certain way or be a certain type of person, um, anything like that. It's a neutral space where everybody can come in and enjoy the same as much as we can, possibly right. can, right. Um, an equitable service. Yeah. The idea of finding those places that are that have that sense of common ground or have that sense of accessibility has become more and more important. So it's a it's a good time for libraries to toot their own horn a little bit. So toot toot. <laughs> that's that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. We really need to. I think something that really hurt us with COVID because we're still seeing it, even though we've been back open after our latest lockdown. People still questioning whether they can come in. Do they need to make an appointment? So just how they use our space is really changed mm -hmm. um, and their relationship to it. And we had built so much with our community before COVID and then it, we're kind of starting from scratch. Um, so not only did our, our programs one day they were there and one day they were gone, the access one day was there and then the next day it was gone. Mm -hmm. And just like the whole rest of the world, we thought it would be short term mm -hmm. and then it wasn't. And then we were open and then we had to close because of the lockdown. And it <laughs> disproportionately affected like our vulnerable populations because I mean, if you're at home, we still had our digital library. You could access that if you had a computer or a device or Wi-Fi, or even when we had curbside, it's a luxury to just be able to pop over to the library and get your library materials. So we really lost those people who maybe came in while they were waiting for the bus or you know needed access to the computer. And I think that was the hardest part too, right? Is that people who have the luxury of being able to access the library that's great for them. And, you know, we were a lifeline during COVID, but for a lot of people, we weren't. And that just sucks how that all happened. But we couldn't be because yeah. we, we, staff were not here yeah. for some of it. And then just, just the like you said, you, yeah. you, you know, we had stay-at-home orders. And mm -hmm. I remember you talking about this when we, when we came back to work, about how we needed to make sure that whatever services we were adapting. And I think CKPL did a good job adapting our services. And we did it quickly mm -hmm. when we came back to work to try to deliver a facsimile of what we were doing before to our, our population now. Mm -hmm. But I remember specifically being in a meeting, a librarian's meeting, and you, Stephanie, saying that we need to be cognizant that not everybody has access to devices or um, they can't watch the, you know, the lit bits that we're putting on. How do we serve that population that depends upon us for those in-person services? Mm -hmm. And that was really hard for, for staff because in a lot of cases we just couldn't because of restrictions well, and, and how, safety. How do you how do you extend that sense of place when the physical place that people would go to access those things is you can't? Mm -hmm. And have we even gotten them back yet? Like I wonder whether we've just kind of lost them because if that access isn't consistently available, you know, is there gonna be another lockdown? They just where have they went? That's what that's what I was getting at. Yeah, yeah just a minute ago is that it, we're gonna have to work really hard to get people back and using the library Everyone talks about the new normal and I don't know, it means something different to some people and yeah. people, some people really hate that term, but it's like it or not, it's kind of a reality. How we're gonna navigate post COVID worlds and how things are gonna change, cause they will, whether we like it or not, they'll be different. How um, do you think they'll be different? We're already seeing how it's different, I think. Um, I think we have had a lot of people move online, um, which is great cause we have really good online resources. <laughs> you can. <laughs> Check them out at ckpl.ca or you can slash virtual. Slash virtual. <laughs> you can also sign up for a card virtually too. Uh, <laughs> just a little plug for our services. Um, but, uh, and, and that's great. And I, I know there were some days where I was the, um, and Andrea and Stephanie were as well. But um, when we first opened, I was the first staff member to be the greeter position at the door. So counting to make sure we weren't over capacity, mm -hmm. letting people know what was and wasn't open, what was and wasn't available, making sure people were following our mask bylaw, provincial mandates for social distancing mm -hmm. safety. Um, and we saw a lot of new faces, which was great coming in to get cards, perhaps because they realized what a resource 
the library can be to them during mm-hmm. the pandemic when our connection with everybody was cut off and we can be that connection maybe for some people. But I think just how people are interacting with our space now is so different. They're, they're in and they're out, which is, is a necessity because of safety. Before the pandemic, there's always people in here. They were sitting, chatting, reading the paper. They were sitting at the community living cafe here in Chatham downstairs. They were doing a puzzle together. These people that didn't know each other, they were participating in programming. So just how they use the space because of COVID has changed. And I think getting people back into that or whatever that new use is gonna look like mm-hmm. is gonna be is gonna be hard. What idea of place is necessary in the community right now? If that makes sense. Like what type of spaces do you think the community needs is maybe the first part and then how can the library of the present or of the future help fill that gap if things need to change if things need to kind of evolve because i agree that it that it does and i would agree that the library is in an interesting position to be that that like accessible public space but kind of what type of spaces do you think that people need right now can i just talk about one of the quotes that yes. kind of stood out to me and yeah. i feel like it leads into this question yeah, yeah um so the quote is libraries have always been a place for everybody I hope that's true, but I'm not sure that is actually true, but I hope that is something that we are moving towards. And it's something that I'm very conscious of when I think about the collections that we have in the library and the displays that we have as well. So I want everybody to be able to navigate our spaces and to feel comfortable and to feel like their identity is reflected in the collections that we have available. So. I guess my goal as collection development librarian, when I'm looking at collection maintenance, it's how to have a strong collection that's accessible. So getting some of those items off the very top shelves and the lower shelves, if possible, getting rid of extra pieces of furniture so that people are able to navigate the aisles more easily, creating more spaces for people who are interested in either quiet study or doing group work when we have that opportunity again. And then when I think about displays, I want them to be diverse year round. So I don't want just like a black history display and that's where the only time you see some of those titles. Mm -hmm. I wanna make sure if it's a romance display and it's fiction, that we have authors from different backgrounds that are reflected in that display and that we have characters from different backgrounds that are reflected in that display as well. So that no matter who walks into the library, they kind of see a reflection of themselves and they know that they're welcome. A relatively simple thing to do to move certain books from a top shelf to the bottom shelf, but just that act could make that entire selection of material resources like that much more accessible for people. Yes, and then hopefully down the road, if we don't have things on such high and low shelves as well, then we're able to get new shelving where the sight lines in a library are better. So it is more of a welcoming space. So staff can see more easily if someone is browsing the aisle and they look like they need assistance. Mm -hmm. So that would be great too. Cause I think when you come to the library, staff don't have a lot of expectations for patrons who are visiting us, but we wanna make sure that at the same time that we are helping people. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of that balance between letting people be self-directed and explore as they want and kind of use the space as they want. And at the same time, making sure that staff are kind of greeting them as well. Before the pandemic. And I think agility, this concept of pivoting has become and understandably a quite of a, like a trendy kind of philosophy within the pandemic. But I wonder what, how that concept of agility, and we've, we've touched on it here um, so far, but that concept of agility um, relates to library services in terms of um, its its services in general, but then how ideas of place are understood and, and being able to have that sensitivity with your patrons so that you can make those types of changes and be able to see like, oh, okay, this is working, but it could actually work a little bit better if we just make this, this kind of change. So maybe, maybe you can kind of muse about the role that agility plays in in library services. Can I talk a little bit about it from the collections perspective and being agile? So I think what our library branches provide in the communities is a space for people to actually interact with our collections. So even though we have the um, catalog available online, 
so you can search and browse online. A lot of people enjoy the experience of actually coming in and browsing our shelves and browsing our displays, seeing what's new, seeing what staff have decided to highlight. So I think the collections really come alive in library spaces. So during the pandemic, even when staff did return to work and we were offering curbside service, we just weren't able to offer patrons that experience of actually coming in and interacting with the collection. So then we were able to pivot and offer the Your Next Favorite Read subscription bag service. So that way staff were able to make that connection still between items in the collection and community members. Mm-hmm. Which goes back to a uh, relationship that patrons are familiar with. Mm-hmm. So even though the the change is, is a maybe not strange, it's just different, mm-hmm. they are familiar with that connection that they've grown to, as you all have said, that the people have really grown to appreciate both from staff and from the patron perspective. Yeah. And I think we've expanded our like online space as well, especially coming back from the pandemic and everything being online. We spent a lot of hours coming up with new and kind of inventive programming that we could use to reach people in their homes. I think that's a pandemic positive as yeah. well. That's a hashtag. Yeah. Hashtag. I love to say that in tech service. Can we get a little like little uh, jingle or something over that yeah. pandemic positive? That'd be fun. Yeah. So I think maybe we've lost some people not being able to welcome them into our spaces during COVID. But then I think we've also reached new patrons by offering the online programs and then also offering the grab and go. So now we kind of have on-demand programs. Mm -hmm. So if you're working a job and you can't make it to a branch at 6 p.m. on Wednesday, well, now you can register for a kit. You can pick it up when it's convenient, and then you can watch the video when it suits you. And then hopefully, if you would like to, you can kind of share about your experience making the craft and hopefully form an online community as well. You won't want to see my face again when you get bored of empty talking. What will we into care again bring when your heart starts to cry and your mind takes over then? Are they the person you used to know? Extending our space beyond library walls is a big library thing too. Yeah. So into the virtual world where we have improved our virtual offerings and promoted it a lot more. I know when we were in the process of shutting down um, in March and we were posting, you know, we may not be here for you in person right now because we, we can't be, but we're always here for you online. You can always access us through there. Mm-hmm. And we have all these different resources. If you don't know how to navigate them, we can help you. Um, we're here for you whether you can be here in person or not in a way as much as again as much as we can doesn't work for everybody but um, we also do that through outreach through some off-site programming we did um, as part of one of our ck reads years we did a a book club at um uh, sons of kent sons of kent thank you yeah. stephanie <laughs> <laughs> <It went. laughs> so, awesome. so off-site yeah. programming things like that it's always been something that libraries have been good at it might be something we need to do more now mm. to um kind of meet people and this is a favorite phrase of andrea is meet people where they are mm-hmm. that's a big part so space doesn't our space and our definition of library space doesn't need to be necessarily within our four walls of our physical space that's and, so important i think oh absolutely right? because not everybody wants to use the library the same way exactly so back to how people are using our physical spaces and andrea talked about it in a collections perspective um we kind of need to be chameleons to adapt to what people want to use the space for. Mm-hmm. But that also means staff are going to be chameleons and adapting to what people need. Physical space needs to be adaptable too, Yes, which is very difficult. We only have so much room. Yeah. Um, we need a lot of it for our collections because that is kind of our traditional bread and butter and that's what people know us for. And that's how people, a lot of people still use the library. But we also need to have space for computers because we, which are heavily used, our public access computers, our Wi-Fi, our quiet study space, group study space, our local history room here in Chatham where people are, are using our microfilm, mm-hmm. children's room where people are um, engaging in programs or they're just tutoring. engaging in play. Yeah, yeah. yeah tutoring. Yeah, exactly. Chess clubs, so many things mm-hmm. that we need to be in one building and often not a very big building. Right. 
I was thinking about that too with how, you know, we have 11 branches and how does that affect our ability to offer services? But because we're kind of so stretched out, it is hard to adapt to what those community members need in that specific community mm-hmm. within the branch. Yeah, because you could have what works in Wallaceburg is not necessarily going to work in Ridgetown. Exactly. Their patrons use the collection differently yeah. and it's hard to adapt. And it's smart to have like overarching kind of like philosophies and strategies and whatnot. But yeah, it's got to be agile. It's got to be able to move to, to fit that that community. But that's uh, again where our staff come in yeah, really in clutch because they know their communities really well. Yeah. So we may not, we may think something might work well in Dresden, but then our branch head there, Tam, who I think is doing a podcast maybe. She is, yeah. Yep. <laughs> she would know, she and her team there, Jen and Debbie and um, Emily now, would know so much better what their community needs. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, again, where the staff come in to def- really help define that space. I'm curious if, if the three of you could kind of chime in on... Um, I guess what your idea of a community hub is or what's important in a community hub and then how libraries function as those spaces or maybe you don't think that they do, but something along those lines. So I looked it up online just because I wanted. (laughs) On a library computer. Yeah, (laughs) I had an idea of what it meant, but I was just kind of curious. Is it okay if I read it? Please, please. Okay, so a community hub is a public space that brings several community agencies and neighborhood groups together to offer a range of activities, programs, and services. So I think we're trying to move towards that service model, but I don't think we're there yet. And I think a lot of that is just due to the limitation of our actual like physical spaces. Mm-hmm. In small branches, I'm not sure how you would have staff from other agencies come in and work just because it is already pretty tight. Right. It's hard in small branches to even offer like indoor programming. I know for summer reading, outdoor programs often work better just because right. of space. Yep. I think in a sense, how we work as a community hub is that we do have so many partnerships with different community groups and different municipal organizations and departments. So if somebody has a program that they want to offer or... I'm just trying to think like with the art gallery, we're able to partner with them and do the matchable kits. So they could provide like the expertise on how to make it and the supplies. And then we were kind of the delivery system. Mm -hmm. So that way someone from Bothell, they didn't have to drive to Chatham to pick up the kit and to drop it off. They could actually just stay in their own community and get everything they needed right from their local library. So I think that's one of the strengths of having 11 branches. And I think those partnership opportunities are really important if we're trying to move towards that community hub mm-hmm. approach, which I think is really beneficial for Chatham Kent community members. Especially with that geography when there's so much yes. so much space to cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the courier van is one of Amazing. my favorite <laughs> one of my favorite things about the library. Yeah. Mark, um, I thought we were your favorite thing about the library. I said one of my favorite things. About <laughs> <laughs> but is like I in my brain, um, I imagine like each little library branch has its own little like bicycle wheel, and then mm-hmm. you can kind of spoke out from there, and then they connect to other ones. Um, um, kind of, I guess, based off the the definition that you provided, Andrea. What other things need to kind of um, be a part of the process for the library to? realize its potential as a community hub? I think they, powers that be, that brought in the community navigators, I think that was a good Mm -hmm. um, connection to make because library staff are often getting questions that are outside of their scope. We will do our best to answer them, but we're not. What is a community navigator for folks who aren't aware? Yes, our lovely community resource navigators, Kathy and Lori, are here for patrons for a variety of different needs. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll help if you need to get a birth certificate replaced so that you can get ID. Um, they've run ID clinics to help people and connect them with um, Service Canada or Service Ontario mm-hmm. to help replace ID. So we're kind of that, again, that neutral space um, where there's not as much, um, I think people sometimes have a fear of government resources or mm. maybe the intimidation factor is there. So once they've built that rapport with Kathy and Lori or even more rapport with our staff, they know that, okay, if I go to this clinic at the library, the library staff, Kathy and Lori, our resource navigators, will help me navigate that process with 
the government workers so that I can get what I need. Um, but they also help with connect them with like employment um, resources, the Employment Resource Center, work with them, uh, social services, housing. So they help make those connections, the warm referrals um, to these other resources. And now people come to the library because they know they can get that help here when they don't really know where to go. They don't know how to navigate maybe the municipal system or, right. Which or how, to get in yes. yeah. how to get in touch with those organizations who are more than willing to help. They just maybe don't have that reach yeah. to some of the, the people, the kind of niche pockets of people. It, be, it relates, um, if I may, um, Andrea, to part of that definition or the thing, well, Pizza, mm -hmm. you were curious about uh, the idea that just in terms of physical space, mm -hmm. there's just the library eventually has a maximum amount of physical space. So the idea of bringing in all those agencies doesn't, just doesn't make practical sense, at least in the current, you know, configuration of how the space is organized. But then there's a way to bring in the agencies through this, um, through this role. So then they can at least be that, that connection point. The library as a community hub, if you have those little moments where the agencies are coming in through these roles, or maybe that's a way to kind of stimulate the community, so to speak. I think it is because I think, well, we've, we've seen it with the change of, you know, the types of requests we're seeing coming through for our community resource navigators and people knowing, oh, they'll come to us and maybe they don't know exactly who to go to go and speak to Kathy and Lori, but they'll come to us in reference or downstairs in circulation here in Chatham and say, someone told me that I could come here and someone would help me. And that's, again, that's something we wanna hear because that's what we wanna do for people. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, I think we already were known to that a place to help. I'm remembering when I first started here, I think it was Tanya that helped this lady. She came down, an older lady who was driving and she couldn't remember how to get home. But she saw the library and she stopped because she knew that we would help her. Wow. And Tanya was able to get in touch with a neighbor of hers and, and help her get home. So I think even before wow. the navigators, we and Tanya very kindly sat with her and waited with her until, <laughs> until she came home. And that's our CEO coming down to do that. Yeah. So it, it's throughout all of our staff here. Shout out to Tanya Sharp. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if she remembers that. But I remember, I that. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. I very it's, it really sticks out in my memory. Yeah. Um, as kind of knowing when I was first here that this is going to be a good place to work. Yeah. Well, and that's, and I think even especially now when we talk about like pandemic futures and what's possible and not really knowing kind of mm -hmm. what's coming for better or worse, when you can at least know that there are certain places in your community that you can go where you can feel safe, where you can feel supported, where you can get the information that you're looking for, that I think the value of those spaces has just exponentially increased. And again, whether it's a library or we talked about before, like your home or your school or um, a coffee shop or somewhere, but it's, I, th I think the, the library is revealing itself to be one of those places. So when we're trying to figure out what space looks like in the future in an abstract kind of way, what can the library do um, to continue to reveal itself as that place where the community can go? What do you think are like the kind of top priorities, things to focus on? I think the more we can get rid of the restrictions to access, the better, um, so that people do feel comfortable coming in again. They feel comfortable staying. It goes back, goes been, back yeah. to what Andrea said about mm -hmm. making sure that every person that walks through our doors, we're doing whatever we can to make sure they feel welcome and reflected yes. by our policies, our, our service, our collections, our programming, mm -hmm. everything that we offer. Whether it is to come in and access all those services or to come in and have a coffee and read the newspaper. I, and I think too, something else that's a continuing ongoing thing. Staff have been doing a lot of training in the last little while, a lot of empathy training. Um, we were able to subscribe to uh, Ryan Dowd's Librarian's Guide to Homelessness, which I think has a lot of transferable skills for being more empathetic um, to all of our patrons, mm. uh, not just those who are experiencing homelessness and are most vulnerable patrons that we serve it gives a context for it but it's empathy is it, yeah his big thing is empathy is the answer um which i think probably should run through all of our services i think more staff are trying to do that yep um but even training in um we, a lot of us have done mental health first aid diversifying and increasing our own skills so that we can as a staff be the most welcoming that we can be to all of our different populations so that's been really nice too. And I feel like our management team really trusts us mm -hmm. to make the right judgment call to treat people with kindness. And to grow and evolve as we, as our community evolves mm -hmm. too. But um, I still think like anything else, there's lots of work that we can still do. Yeah. 
um, particularly around um, diversity and inclusiveness. Um, I think we that is always top of mind for us, being inclusive, and um, but there's always work to do. So I think that's probably our next thing that we're probably going to tackle. When I was looking into some stuff before this podcast, one of the concepts that I came across, which I really liked, was a kindness audit, where you look at your library space and how examine and examine how kind it is for patrons. Hmm. So you look at is the signage positive? Are service desks welcoming? Um, how is easy is it for people to find their way around the building? What obstacles would people encounter? and who's actually using our library spaces. Mm. So I'd love to see that being a focus of what we do moving forward. Here's what we offer. Here's how we offer it. Here's who is um, able to easily access the table, who's maybe not at the table, mm -hmm. who's building the table, like kind of where are people in that process? Um, and then it promotes, I think, to this idea of, of agility, of being able to shift the programs as needed, as being able to shift the signage or move things around so that agility, excuse me, that agility kind of practice comes through on that too. That's really interesting. Yeah. Kindness audit. I know, I love that. Huh. There's a philosophy, excuse me, a philosophy about archiving, um, like in museology. And I think it relates here in the, in, if we're looking at libraries as a place that kind of archives books and is a bit of a museum in some ways for books, it's a an archive is only an archive and concept until you have people engage with it and then it becomes something so there's stories all over the shelves in dvds but there's stories within people as well and it's that exchange which not only animates the materials but animates the actual people so then patrons and staff are their best when we're communicating with each other and if it happens to be through i don't know the latest season of ozark I don't know why that came into my brain, but I don't think it's available on DVD, Mark. Don't promise that we can deliver that. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> hypothetically speaking, <laughs> but at any kind of resource, if that happens to be a catalyst for some of that connection, then, um, then cool. But it is that relationship, right? That storytelling that was, um, Andrea, I don't think you did the Ontario Library Association Super Conference this year, did you? I did Steph, not. you did. Yeah. They're, don't throw me under the bus. I'm not going to throw you under anything. the bus, <laughs> but I'm giving, like, if you want to chime in on this. They, um, so that was all virtual. Usually um, the Ontario Library Association Super Conference is, I think, one of the largest uh, library conferences definitely in Canada. Not, not the American Library Association Conference is the biggest probably in the world. But um, it's a large conference where thousands of library workers all get together and learn and share stories and things like that. Um, share programming initiatives, all these, all these great things. Uh, so it was virtual this year, um, and their can't remember exactly what their theme was, but something that ran through the whole, um, all the keynotes and um, a lot of the messaging that we were getting from our association was storytelling. Mm -hmm. So sharing our stories, having patrons share stories, and then obviously that's what we're that's what we share with our public, right? Is stories mm -hmm. and how everybody has a different story, how we can shape and form those stories. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really big thing and that's a great way to frame what we do mm -hmm. in different, and it can mean different things, but ultimately sharing, shaping, delivering stories. It connects back to that um, idea of seeing yourself in the space when you, when you feel as though your story is reflected in some capacity, when it may be tricky to, f to find your feet on the ground that might help you kind of put your feet on the ground, even if it's for 20 minutes when you're at the library. Maybe that'll spin off and, and give you another 20 minutes outside, you know? One, of the, one of the sessions, sorry, Steph. No, that's okay. One of the sessions I went to, just spinning off of that, yeah, yeah. was about bibliotherapy, um, which is not a, not a widely known thing here in Canada, but I guess in the UK, it's a really big thing where people can actually be prescribed books. And what? that, yes. So that's part of their um, NHS National Health Services service, I believe. I'm going completely off of memory from this session, so make sure to fact check me. <laughs> but uh, bibliotherapy. Bibliotherapy. So there is a library in Ontario that started it. I can get it for you, Mark, if you're interested. But I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, and they did this initiative during the pandemic. So they put together. They did a survey of their staff. They did a lot of researching. This one staff member put together bibliotherapy lists about. Um, Different, different issues people might be having. 
Um, so maybe uh, for kids, someone who had lost a family member or a parent, maybe somebody struggling with some aspect of their life, an illness, um, their identity, really anything. And that idea that you can grow and learn and kind of find yourself by engaging with stories uh, and seeing yourself reflected in those books, maybe seeing an aspect, um, seeing how that character, because it can be fiction or nonfiction, seeing how that character handled that shared issue or um, concern or shared life, aspect of their life. And then you can, maybe heal is not the right word, but certainly grow mm -hmm. and maybe feel better about yourself or start asking questions, start you know, maybe getting help from somewhere else, but all through books. So they started that. I think it's a really great initiative that this library that I wish I could remember which one it was <laughs> had started. But what they started with was just, you know, sharing lists of resources that they had that maybe would help with with what um, their community was going through, yeah. particularly during the pandemic when we lost that sense of connection to connect them through books. Maybe that's part of um, if we look at this, this concept of place, it's like identifying having that relationship with the patron so then you kind of know mm -hmm. what place they're at and you know what places are available via the library whether it's virtual physical place um a, like a, a fictional place a story place and then being able to kind of support them in their place wherever they're at like it's gone are the days where it's just making like signing somebody out a book and then calling it a day like it's the the role of the library librarian the role of a library staff member and i think the role of the library in the community is far more nuanced than that and maybe a, a pandemic positive is that we're being able to see that more transparently like it's something that i think you all have experienced as library staff and it's something that you obviously incorporate into your day-to-day -day work all the time but maybe that's something that the community is really starting to experience which will help reveal the library to be um, a really valuable spoke in the community wheel, you know? Yeah, when I think about the future of Chatham Kent Public Library, I always like to look at it through the lens of what our community needs and how we can adapt our, our spaces and our collections and services to better meet the needs of those community members. And I think that drives a lot of the work that we do here at the library. I know whenever I'm looking at my to-do list and I'm trying to figure out what task I'm going to prioritize, I'm always thinking about what will be best for customer service and what's best for the end users. And I think it would be good if we had that same perspective when it came to our spaces. And I think we try, but I think funding is a big part of that. Just even library furniture is so expensive <laughs> and overpriced. So in the it's, future, it's wildly expensive. Like you wouldn't believe how expensive like a shelving unit is. Yes, wow. it, it's shockingly expensive. So post pandemic, when we are able to have people in for longer periods of time where they're able to gather and socialize, it'd be nice if we had that funding to buy new furniture to kind of match that need. That's a great point, being able to identify. Well, it, it, I mean, it connects it to like a municipal context too, where it's like you can have the greatest ideas in the mm -hmm. world and you can identify all the needs, but if there's not the the financial ground to stand on as well, then they're kind of, they're, a lot of ideas get put in the parking lot. Yeah. I think the ideas and the driver there, but yeah, Andrea nailed it, or hit the nail on the head that maybe our spaces aren't, that were built, you know, many mm -hmm. years ago. This branch in Chatham was built. I think it was a centennial project, so 1967. Then it was renovated. I do not know when it was renovated, but <laughs> <laughs> quite a while ago, probably before I was born. Uh, and uh, it, maybe it doesn't suit our needs anymore. But it's so astronomically expensive to to make those changes to space. And even like you said, yeah. not even making changes to the actual physical building, but what's in the building. Mm -hmm. I was gonna... Any kind of final thoughts or things that have kind of stood out from um, the conversation today? Um, anything that you just, that you, that's on your mind that you wanted to, wanted to say before we wrap up? The library, as much as I, as I was talking about how staff helped define it for our community and really bring that sense of space, 
it's the community space. So we want to do everything that we can to represent our community, to serve our community, and to reflect our community. Mm -hmm. um, and I hope that people know that we are working to do that, but um, we are, there's constraints. Funding is a big one. Mm -hmm. Physical space. And then staffing. staffing. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a small librarian team. There's only five of us. Small we have a lot. but mighty. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> we have a, like, our management team. They are. They do a lot when there's there's not very many of them. Mm -hmm. And then we have a lot of part-time staff who are very passionate, really want to do everything they can for their community. But when you're only working, you know, 15 hours a week, there's only so much that one person can do. So. Hopefully our community knows that we're here for them still throughout the pandemic and after, but uh, we're doing everything that we can to re represent and reflect them. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we'll need some help from them, some mm -hmm. input, and then some advocacy. We can only do as much as our budgeting and our staffing and our spaces allow. We would love to do more, but sometimes we need help from our community to get that done. So maybe the library space is one that people think that they know what it is, but maybe that it's a lot more than what people think. And it Absolutely. can be a lot more than what people think. And I love that because I feel like it is always changing and evolving. And I think that's exciting for us as staff members to kind of see that evolution mm -hmm. and then hopefully have more people feel welcome in our spaces as the services and types of spaces that we offer keep changing. Thank you so much thank you. thank you for popping in today. So again, a thank you to Stephanie, to Andrea, and to Megan. Um, this has been another episode of This is a Library podcast, and we'll chat with you sometime soon. Take my Music helps us tell our stories, and we have stories to tell. This episode of This is a Library podcast features the sounds of local artist Elliot Milson. Even in the end, if I will lose, I'll stay.